Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. I'm a Buffalo Nichols. Right now I'm at home in Austin, Texas, and I try to write songs and play guitar and sing sometimes. You know a pretty girl will make you do ugly things. Like smoke cigarettes and bug down more Yeah, I know I am not a heartless man. There's some things that I hardly understand. To be a, you know, a touring musician of color, specifically to be black um you go into a lot of spaces where you're the only black person or where you know everybody the only black people you see are in service which you are as well to a certain extent well basically i want people to to treat me with respect when i walk in the door and if i'm not going to get the respect i'm going to handle the situation in a way that makes you treat the next black person that walks Hmm. and i feel that's my goal as an artist Okay then, welcome back to the show on the road, everybody. I'm your humble audio spirit guide, Zach Lupiton, as always. And this week, I talk to a startling new talent, placing a gut punch into the folk and blues scene, the Milwaukee-raised and now Austin-based singer-songwriter, Buffalo Nichols. Now look, you may listen to Carl Nichols and listen to his music and wonder, is this kid okay? If you were breaking into the music industry at around age 30 like Carl is right now, you'd think that he'd be writing some pop bops that are rising to the top of the charts. He's playing Lollapalooza, after all, in July, and Colbert he just played a few weeks back. And yet what I love about Carl's music is that he's not going to pump up our pleasure centers. Instead, he's sticking a knife into the wounds of American history and seeing how far we'll jump. Now let's say you're making your first record. Maybe you want to make people sing along and feel good and smile to your songs. That's not where Carl is going here. His self-titled record is like a lightning bolt to the back of your head and in the best way possible. You don't really know what hits you after you listen, and so you listen again. And how, you may ask yourself, does he play these songs of racial injustice and violence in crowded bars and saloons in the South? Well, he does, and he's fearless, and I'm so happy that we could talk about it in depth here. Is it easy to confront the ignorance of a country steeped in its own mythology every night with just a guitar and a microphone? No, it isn't. Blues music at its core, for me, has always been protest music. And if you read the news and what the Supreme Court is about to do in this country, well, I think some more blues and protest music is coming down the pike right now. And I better sign off there because my little one JJ is signing in right now. What do you say, JJ? Well, I think that's my cue, everybody. Um, But first, my group Dust Bowl Revival is playing a really cool new show in Venice Beach in L.A. June 11th at the Venice West. Please check that out. And here he is now, without further ado, Buffalo Nichols. 
place but you grew up on the north end of milwaukee right yeah i'm from milwaukee i spent pretty much my whole life there moved around a little bit in my adulthood but i'm yeah i'm from milwaukee i used to spend summers up there because i'm from chicago we'd go see the brewers at county stadium yeah good old day yeah you kind of grew up you know listening to your mom's record collection and and do you remember what the first artist or record you heard that started you on this path I just, I know like early on, I got all of my music from, you know, TV and, you know, the radio or whatever, um, which was, you know, the late 90s, which was the era of uh, pop punk and new metal. That was what you would hear on MTV and stuff. That was my first, the first stuff that I actually was listening to. Um, but a little later on, I got into, when I actually started uh, seeking out music on my own, um, I remember listening to like, you know, I guess what you would call adult contemporary stuff. Like right. Steely Dan and James Taylor and stuff. That was, I think, the first time I started. You know, I must have been like eight or nine years old at this time. And I started, you know, just it kept digging from there. Took in everything I could. And your sister had a dreadnought guitar laying around, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, she would normally would not let me play it just because we were young and everybody had to have their own stuff and you can't touch that it's mine <laughs> but eventually uh she let me you know pick it up and i started playing it and probably after about a two two years of just messing around i was serious enough about it that i got my own guitar and here we are today when you started writing was there uh, a certain style that you wanted to emulate or was it sort of just like your own imagination going wild yeah i was pretty frustrated i think with the acoustic guitar because i couldn't do the stuff that i was you know listening to um <laughs> or the stuff that i was hearing and wasn't really the same as the stuff that i was able to the sounds i was able to play on the acoustic um but i it didn't take long for me to just give up on trying to sound like what I wanted to. And I just wanted to figure out how the instrument works. So I started like learning chords and, and, you know, scales and things like that. And, and then once I finally did get in that electric guitar, it was just like, everything just got so much easier because I kind of built up some fundamentals the hard way. I'm glad that you're on this season uh, here at the podcast, because we have talked to some interesting folks um, like Kev Moe, a few weeks back who I know you kind of discovered that Martin Scorsese presents the blues record, which sort of helped discover him in a way Um, kind of comes full circle. And, you know, someone like Keb who my band gospel revival has worked with and, and, and kind of used in one of our songs, he helped us create something that we wouldn't have ever heard. Um, I think it's about like, resuscitating and revitalizing 
the American blues tradition, but also creating something that is telling a story about right now, you mm-hmm. know, um, which you obviously have done on this self-titled record. I mean, there's a lot of powerful, painful stuff uh, that you don't mince words, you know. Um, and I know a lot of folks are uh, asking you about another man, which we can get into later. But like, you know, what we've seen in the last two years in this country, um, especially in areas around Wisconsin, you know, I have friends who were in Kenosha, you know, who saw that tension boil over. Mm. It's hard to not want to write a contemporary visceral story about now, but with a music that sounds timeless, right? Um, Do you have to wrestle with sort of the old and the new when you start writing stuff like this? Uh, No, that that never really uh, enters my mind. Uh, I think everything that I know of old music, I don't really think of it as old. I think of it as modern of a different time. True. So I've never, I've never wanted to, you know, revisit a musical style and then have to also bring with it the, you know, the, the, the thinking of that, of that era. Um, to me, it's just, you know, I'm, I've, I've always written songs about current situations and it's just partially because of my own lack of creativity. I just, the acoustic guitar lends itself to a certain maybe timeless sound. 21st century It don't mean a thing to me Cause it might as well be 1910 Killing women and killing men Another woman is dead Another woman's dead Another woman's dead Turn the signal wasn't on They locked her up and now she's gone Another woman is dead Well, there's this pair of songs Another Man, but also I think Living Hell for me paints this picture where you're dropped into like a crime scene almost, right? Like you're put into this story that's unfolding. Um, and, you know, it's 3 a.m. We talk about the police and the crooks coming to the same place and that they're both almost on the same team, just wearing different uniforms, you know? And again, you're not holding back about sort of the distrust and the pain that's in the black community regarding how the police have treated black men, black women, the black community in general, right? Now there's people I think who would say, well, shouldn't we hide it behind some poetry or some allegory? You're not hiding it, right? It's pretty open right from the opening line of this song, Living Hell, which is, I think is pretty powerful. Yeah, I think it. There are times when I, it's hidden and uh, it might not be heard, but I'll say, yeah, I don't, I don't understand the purpose. If you have a message, you know, you should just put it out there. <laughs> so now I ask the question that I know too well, but I die and go to 
Yeah, that, that's one of those songs that I really struggled with because uh, it, to me, it tells a, a specific story that I don't. Same thing with another man. It's a story that I don't necessarily want to tell in front of a room full of white people. Uh-huh. Um, but that's just the nature of of being a musician in America. Really, it doesn't matter, no matter what you do, um, because. To me, the song is about not just mistrust of the police, but it's just just the the, the danger of living in certain communities, period, where you kind of get from every side. And that's like uh, a story that I'm familiar with, but not really one that I want to be discussing openly with people who don't get it, you know what I mean? Right. But, you know, I, I gotta sell records. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it. And hence... Let's talk more about it with this white <laughs> podcaster. But the line, you know, they say you'll end up in jail or dead. Basically, it's like this narrative that is punched over and over again about um, people in the black community that are not going to make it to a better life somehow. Mm. Right. The other side of it is that there's this force that is putting them in jail or in the grave, right? That the police are part of this cycle, right? That it's mm-hmm. it takes two to tango, right? Well, I'm clinging to the memory of a bright and peaceful day But I really don't remember that things ever were that way But my troubles soon be over And one day I'll be set free From the chains around my neck From this man-made misery But until that day comes there's something about again that disconnect about where modern blues has gone and who it's for in a way um there's one of my favorite artists in the world right now uh is a guy named michael kiwanuka in the uk um he has this song called i'm a black man living in a white world basically you know and he has this interview where he's saying and it's this chant basically that him and these singers a black man living in a white world and he's singing it over and over again and he plays shows in london or scotland or whatever and it's like 500 white kids singing about the black experience to him yeah because those are his fans and he has black fans as well but Mm. you know the folk and blues community right now is overwhelmingly white Right. right How does that um, feel when you're performing a song like Living Hell? Uh, it feels like shit, honestly. Um, <laughs> it's, there's a, you know, I'm on a, a path, a longer path, and I'm trying to like stay committed to um, the, the process of just bringing the, this traditional music or traditional type of music to a broader, more diverse audience. But I think the, the part that makes me feel bad isn't necessarily the, the racial aspect. It's just, there are a lot of times where I play that song or Living Hell, and you know, generally this is not my own audience, it's when I'm open to somebody. Whereas like people are just not, either not hearing or just not receiving the message. And they're like, you know, dancing and cheering and it's like, 
If you would just just sit for a minute and listen to what I'm saying, maybe you would know that that's not totally appropriate. And sometimes it bothers me to the point where I won't play those songs. But um, you know, this is something that I'm still figuring out. Like I don't, I don't enjoy the feeling, and I don't, I don't just sing these songs for a pat on the back or for attention. Like I, they have a purpose for me, and I feel like I'm I'm failing. But um, yeah, I'm still. I'm still working all this stuff out. Well, when it comes down to it, blues, folk music, it came from a tradition of protest music also, right? I mean, we're talking about music that is explaining trauma to people who have no concept of what that trauma is or how it feels like. But the weird thing is that people are then using it as entertainment music that they're Mm going to have a drink and listen to, right? Which that's where you have to go. Sometimes you got to play the bar in St. Louis or wherever, and people are going to have a good time. And then you're going to be saying something deeply personal, like in another man, like, you know, the police pulled a gun on Mel. It's only 17. That could have been me, right? The situation where you could have been in this position of trauma, you're creating a scenario that, so many people like you could have gone through, right? And then people are going to have a beer and and watch the game above your head at the same time, you know? Yeah, I'm, which is I'm, yeah. tricky. It is tricky. I don't, and I don't. Um, before before the album was, I guess, completed, I, I wasn't going to put that song on there for this exact reason because I had already been playing the song and I knew what the reaction was and what it was going to be. Um, but you know, it's, you gotta say, yeah, but I don't because because (laughs) I'm not saying anything that it's the the thing is I wrote that song, I think maybe in 2018 and I'm not saying anything that people don't know. And even when everybody witnessed George Floyd get murdered, they weren't seeing anything that they didn't already know happened. So it's like, why do I get have to keep reliving this trauma for myself and for other people? It seems like ultimately all it is is just, you know, it just brings a little bit of attention to myself, but nobody's really changing their mind or their behavior because of this song. And, you know, people might say, oh, no, that's not true. But it's, it's true. I'm not changing any, I'm not changing anybody's mind with this song about my own experience. Um, but that's not why I wrote it. And that's not why I perform it, but it, but I feel like sometimes it's unnecessary because I'm the only one. When I sing that song and I see a bunch of like people not giving a shit, I feel like I'm the only one who's hurting. And it's like I should just put that song away. And I probably will eventually. But like I said, I'm still working. With it. Some folks believe the lies. They're fooled by the disguise. 
white hood When a badge works just as good Another man is dead. I know it's easy to feel, I think, defeated when you want to have something important to say and people want to be entertained and to smile and dance and have a good time right i mean i had this experience literally yesterday we played a show we've played every year for the city of long beach families having picnics and dancing in the grass now we have like a band with a horn section and we're playing some upbeat new orleans kind of stuff and blues and folk but we have this gun control song about the Parkland, mm-hmm. Florida shooting, and it's in every set. I mean, it's a, one of our favorite songs. And yeah. normally, I do a whole intro, and you know, it's honoring the the kids who, you know, stood up to their government and demanded that their friends who were lost were not forgotten, and they're going to change the laws. Mm-hmm. And I just was like looking out there in the sunshine, people laughing, having a good time, and I just was like, "All right, everybody." make sure you register to vote you know i i couldn't like i couldn't do it yesterday yeah you know and people were literally dancing like the conga line to this song about people getting shot in their high school um, right. this is an issue that i yeah, i had to sing it i had to sing it yeah. it was like it's like because what else am i here for really you know there's yeah, plenty of other songs is, that are gonna be entertaining this is the thing that's kind of been haunting me for the past few years because I've gotten into the you know commercial side of music pretty heavily lately. And I just never in my life have I been able to accept this idea that music has to be this um, alcohol infused, uh, um, just superficial, vacuous form of entertainment. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh. <laughs> I mean, look, some people have some more intense stories to fucking say, right? I mean, now, the environment that maybe someone sees you in, right, mm-hmm. would maybe be more conducive in a hushed theater or a uh, a place where you can actually sit and listen to the words, which yeah. many people don't do. Um mm-hmm. But, you know, when you say a line, like, some folks believe the lies, they're fooled by the disguise, no need to hide behind a white hood when a badge works just as good, right? This is like a couple punches to the gut of a lot of institutions that a lot of people are going to be very uncomfortable about. A lot of people are going to be very uncomfortable if they actually really listen to that, right? Yeah, I think people are uncomfortable with listening to Um especially in the blues it's been it's been completely co-opted by you know car commercials and and bud light or whatever is associated with it now um so it's really difficult to to have to make art and to be a person with an opinion in this genre that is decided that it's going to be opinionless and derivative you know 
and that that's my my real issue is that there's not you kind of have to make your own space as an artist if you want to be if you want actually people actually to take in what you're creating and not just have it be background music or be this um superficial sort of entertainment that means nothing so i think that's what you know a lot of a lot of us fall into that because it's it's how you get paid it's how you stay employed it's just by following the rules and and being light and fun you know you know you have experienced a lot of different guitar traditions you know not just the blues but going into african music um i'd love to know about that craigslist ad that you responded to that got you uh you know learning the music of senegal and mali and and, and guinea and and traveling over there how did that turn out yeah there was a a guy in milwaukee his name's omar sanya who had a a West African kind of cover band. He played some original songs too, but he was looking for a guitar player and I was like fresh out of high school looking for something to do. And I did that for a while. And and through that scene, I'd met a lot of musicians, you know, Kora players from Senegal and Goni players from, from Mali and singers and drummers from Guinea. And I just followed that path for a while. It was something that really spoke to me and I just really enjoyed the, the guitar style. And I stuck with it for a long time. and. Uh, it was what I wanted to do for a while, and I, I kept going. I always have to, you know, keep going. But that was a place that I stayed for a while. When you're playing your uh, your guitar, typically, are you using tunings that fall into uh, the more open tunings of blues, or are you also employing some of these West African traditions in in these recordings as well? Uh, as far as the recordings, I've, I stuck pretty closely to what you would see in blues. I down tune a little bit lower, but I do the open G and open D. And the I don't know what it's called, but the one that Skip James used, like open D minor kind of thing. Okay. Um, and standard tuning as well. But I, I play a lot in the, the different African tunings as well. But I do that like live and at home, but I, I didn't put any of that on the, on the record. Is there an artist um, in that West African tradition that you are most inspired by or that you've listened to most? Yeah, I think most of what I learned came from uh, probably uh, Jelamari Tunkara. He's from uh, Mali, he's in the Bamako Super Rio band, and done a lot of different collaborations. And then, of course, Ali Farkatoure, big inspiration for me, and I learned what he was doing. But I also uh, played mostly with Cora players. So I tried to like imitate the Cora on guitar and just learn to accompany that instrument. So that was a big one. You only need about uh, 15 more strings. Yeah, I'm almost there. <laughs> what was it like playing in Senegal? Um, I didn't really play much in Senegal um, all at all. I played, I didn't do any performing or anything, but um, I, you know, uh, did a little bit of, I guess, training 
on the guitar and I was playing uh, percussion at the time, like uh, Doon Doon and Jembe. Um, but really it was just about, you know, taking in the culture and, and hearing the music because, you know, you can hear, I met so many West African musicians in Milwaukee, but seeing like the, the troops of dancers and musicians that all have grown up in that tradition is a totally different experience. And that was really, really impactful. Yeah. I like that. Um, that line you said in an interview where you, you saw that music over there, it's not just a job or a career. It's basically like who you are. It's like your entire identity, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of us who have fallen into being a professional musician touring as our job, it's not like a planned thing, right? It's like a thing you kind of like, well, I guess I'm doing this now. And some yeah. people at some label and an agent and a manager are taking me seriously, but there's always that, sort of back of your mind questioning like is this really for real like am i gonna be doing this five years from now ten years from now um yeah. is it even gonna be possible um do you have any of that sort of <laughs> imposter syndrome thing or ha has it been able to sink in enough where you have the confidence that like this is what you're gonna do uh it's it's somewhere in between i I have no doubts about what I'm going to do. I'm going to be creating as long as I live. Um, in what capacity and how much attention do I want and deserve? That's something that you know fluctuates a lot. But I've never, I've never questioned my own commitment to to music. Well, in your own telling of it, right? You open the record with "Lost and Lonesome," right? Again, mm -hmm. not hiding behind a couple layers of upbeat poetry it's like i'm isolated i don't know where i belong mm. and um you know the protagonist could be homeless could be someone who um can't find economic viability in this crazy stacked society that's been looking the other way for so mm. long um does creating a song telling that story bring you a sense of comfort that maybe other people will identify with that isolation? Yeah, that's uh, something that I've been thinking about more after after the fact, because I've written uh, a few songs with a similar theme where I'm trying to sort of explain loneliness, because everybody, I think everybody who's ever been lonely has different ways of making sense of it. You know, either it's everybody else's fault or it's your own fault or it's what you want or you have no choice. Um, but I think whether or not you want it, whether you want to continue to be alone or you want to reach out for some sort of you know, connection, I think it's it, it, it feels good to know that somebody else is going through, you know, like maybe you want to be alone and you hear somebody else say that they want to be alone and you're like, okay, it's okay to be alone. Or vice versa, like you hear somebody saying they're alone and they need help, and you're like, "Well, I'm alone too, and I need help. Maybe I should ask for help." I think that's just connecting with another mind. It, it can be helpful. Cause it's hard, hard to trust someone. But loyalty is just a word. 
that slips off of your tongue. Loyalty is just a word and it slips off of your tongue. Question how you learned to love like that. She tried to answer as she pulled the knife out of her back. And when I asked the question how you learned to love again, you're gonna suffer anyway, but it's better with a friend. You're gonna suffer anyway, ain't it better with a friend? Have you ever gone to therapy? Yeah, I've tried it. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's what uh, they tell you in therapy is to talk about things. So, keep if you keep writing songs, it's almost well, it's not as good as therapy. I, don't, I want people to replace therapy with songwriting, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a start. I don't want to talk shit about my therapist because I'm very new to this, but I've started it pretty much for the first time after uh, we had our baby a couple months ago, who's mm -hmm. sitting right here. If you hear it or on the microphone, she's being very good right now. Um, my wife had a really traumatic birth. It was a lot of really scary stuff that went down. Um, you know, trauma that I'm sure she and I will not even fully unpack for years, but it's hard for me sometimes to talk to the therapist and not think that I'm just complaining. Like I'm not just complaining about my life. You know, mm -hmm. when obviously I know I'm pretty privileged on every level, right? Yeah. But I'm just like, oh God, but this and this and this. And I I hear myself speaking, like hovering above the session and being like, is this working? <laughs> like this, <laughs> is this helping you complaining about the stuff that just happened to you? And and maybe it will in a long-term way, but I feel much more released by writing about it and and mm -hmm. and singing about stuff um because it's like a separate part of your brain that you can only unlock with a very special key in a way um yeah. you know i i just i wonder sometimes um about the disconnect we were going on about earlier Right. Mm -hmm. When you're, you know, hey, you played on Colbert a month ago. Right. Yeah. You have to promote yourself as an artist, selling yourself and your songs for a national TV audience. Which yeah. Is pretty, pretty rad mm -hmm. that you're on there. But you're also talking about this idea that your grandfather experienced this deep racial hatred sure. and you don't see the changes necessarily between 1921 and 2021 mm -hmm. and then colbert goes okay and coming up next uh kate winslet you know <laughs> well that's that's where i make the distinction between you know i, I don't see it as promoting myself i see it as promoting this album which yeah. is not me um and that and i do draw that line because that, like a song like another man i i play it when i would need to play it i don't typically like i don't think i've ever done it on you know radio or a podcast or anything i don't 
I don't perform it like that because I feel like I've put it there for people who want to access it, but I'm not right. going to shove that song down people's throats or, or go around promoting it because I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to bring attention to it. I, I think it's something that everybody knows. And if they come across it, I will, it's, you know, it's already there for them. And there's some songs on this record that have, um, you know, sort of this ominous party in the middle of the night vibe, which I like, you know, um, back on top, which has more of a band um, mm -hmm. backing you. Um, but again, there's this line, um, you know, I ain't been living right, but I sure had fun last night. Yeah. Sort of like, well, we we really let it all hang out last night, but there's going to be consequences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that I've, I used to talk about that song and then I just gave up on it. But that was a that was a it was an, a half baked idea. And I should have I should have finished making it. But I didn't. I just put it out there and it's not my proudest moment, but Again, it's not, it's not me, it's, it's a song. But I promise, oh, I swear, one of these days. Yeah, I promise, oh, I swear, one of these days. When my family turns to feast, I'm gonna take you out to eat. We're gonna spend every dime, dime on you. I always say like a, a set list is like a baseball lineup, mm. right? Not every hitter is going to be the cleanup hitter. Yeah. You need like the number two hitter to kind of like transition you to the big bopper third, you know, yeah. and fourth <laughs> position there. Yeah. And sometimes there's like a song that we play in our band that I'll admit, like it just doesn't really work live, yeah. <laughs> sure. but it's fun. And it mm -hmm. sounds kind of like a a mariachi Van Morrison mashup or something, you know. Yeah. People dance and they and it's only like three and a half minutes long. Mm -hmm. And I put it in the set, especially like at an outdoor fun family affair like yesterday, mm -hmm. because some of my other songs are just so relentlessly <laughs> dark that like yeah. we need a couple guys to get on base to move the show along you know and then when you hit them in the face with some of the darker stuff they're already on your side or something you know? yeah that, that's my that's my problem and that's probably going to continue to be a problem for me is that i don't i don't really care if people are on my side <laughs> people you know i don't i don't care if i make people uncomfortable or if people walk people often say that you know oh your songs are so sad and i'm like well i really <laughs> don't i don't care <laughs> I'm like I'm not. I, I don't. I don't write songs to make people feel good because I right. think I think it's to a certain extent Hollywood movies and music of all the art forms are expected to make you feel good. Right. Like writers and painters are allowed to express all these different emotions, but for some reason, as musicians, it's our duty to entertain and make people happy. Like, why can't we get? Why aren't we allowed afforded the full spectrum of emotions? You know, like, why do I have to balance it out? Why can't I just be dark and angry all the time? Why, why <laughs> does it have to end on a positive note? You know what I mean? How do you end a set right now? Like, what is the closer? Um, 
on a you know on a usual night i'll end with another man um if i feel like playing <laughs> the most <laughs> the biggest downer of, of them all <laughs> yeah usually that's what i do um but sometimes i'll play uh you know i'll do a cover like a blind Willie johnson song or something uh yeah but yeah typically yeah, i'll end with another man because i just feel like in a way it is my mission to sort of reject the idea that music has to be fun all the time yeah, nobody wants to hear that but that's, that's what i'm doing anyway well a song like uh how to love is a little mm-hmm. more about finding sort of empathy or or, or common ground um, yeah moving through something that was hard um is that like the softest song on the record like that can kind of yeah that song was probably i mean of the songs that i actually wrote not including back on top um that's the one song that um is generally hopeful because it's you know about the 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 process of finding empathy and, and learning how to treat people which i think is a yeah, that's that's about as as cheery as I can. Speaking of a cheery subject, um, you actually you know toured throughout Europe and actually heard sort of jazz and different music in Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, years ago. Um, man, it's just, it's really tough to watch what's happening over there right now and not feel like we're just sort of helpless audience members watching someone die in front of you, you know, um, what was your memory of, of traveling there? I guess it was, you know, at the time it was pretty much just like, you know, any other place I'd been to, um, there was a whole lot of, um, I guess novelty for them. Because I went there just traveling, and I also went there a few times as a, a musician. So, you know, I'm very uh, conscious of my experience traveling um, because I, I went to all these places in Ukraine where I was, you know, the only black person a lot of these people had seen. And being a musician gives me, a, you know, certain access that I probably wouldn't get normally. But, you know, I had some, I still do have some really good friends there that just took care of me and and showed me some great places. And I met some some really good people. And yeah, it is really, really a shame what's, what's happening there. I guess we, at the end of the day, we are helpless. There's nothing that we can, we can really do. Are you in communication with those folks that are over there? Yeah. Um, some people I know have, have gotten out. Um, but you know, most of the people I know were, you know, men of a certain age, so they really aren't able to leave, and they're they're there and they're and they're still fighting. Yeah, but everyone I know is still, you know, relatively okay. They're all alive, at least. It is amazing how powerful misinformation and denial can still be, even in the age of the internet, where, in theory you can watch with your own eyes, like the invasion and these people, you know, getting 
bombed out of their apartments and these hospitals going down. And yet um, there's this amazing podcast I was listening to um, where these former, um, I think they were, they used to live in the Soviet union and then they had moved out and they had all these phone records of just everyday citizens in Russia. Cause it's kind of because of this sort of, vestige of communism like everyone's number is just like accessible and you can just call people Mm -hmm. and basically there was like they just did this mass one-on-one phone campaign being like okay do you want to know what's really happening oh yeah (laughs) and they would just call these people up i actually went in uh for the first time in 2014 and um, this was during, you know, the the original, I guess, invasion. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Yes, and it was just before that. Um, but at the time, even in Western media, it was considered a civil war. And I was like, you know, asking people who were there, like, what what is really happening? And they said, well, the first thing to know is that you can't trust any media because they're everybody's lying. But it's absolutely not a civil war. This this is just Russia. Russia is, is is doing this, and nobody really worked. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of um, attention paid to the propaganda, and now it's it's been revealed how you know how successful it was and how damaging it was. These people who were getting these calls, like almost ninety percent of them, would literally like laugh at the person at the other end. They're just like, yeah, okay. I guess we're not trying to save the Ukrainian people. Like, what are you crazy? Of course, we're not like invading them and hurting these people. Like they just, they couldn't even believe the concept that they were in the wrong, that Russia was sort of a national, international pariah. And that everyone was like, how dare you do this? They were like, no, we're, we're saving these people who are being overrun by Nazis. Obviously, you know, well, yes, you yes, ask the average American about Iraq or Afghanistan or Palestine, you might get a similar reaction. So, <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it is amazing to see the levels of almost collective insanity that can happen yeah. in a society, yeah. um, where almost half our population tried to vote Trump in again. Yeah, you know? right. yeah. <laughs> like you did it once and you almost tried to do it again, you know. Yeah, definitely a global phenomenon. And we're down in Texas on Friday and the Trump 2024 flags are flying. Yeah. You're like, but why? <laughs> but like, but why? <laughs> it feels like like you're talking to like an alien like cyborg who just like you're like, are we not able to communicate in the same language or wavelength <laughs> yeah and and that's part of the reason why I keep my messaging the way I do is because I know that there's you can yell at these people all you want but some people to me at least aren't reachable there's no amount of compassion I almost like, like an asshole right now maybe I just am <laughs> there's no amount of compassion or educating that can really get through to these people some people are just determined to be stupid and evil and you know, what can you do 
how are your interactions with fans? Like, do you go to the merch table afterwards? Like, do you have conversations with folks after shows or do you try to separate your real self with your performance self? Um, I, I, I don't, I try not to keep too much uh, distance between myself and the audience, or at least that's how I have approached it in the past. Now I'm starting to regret, <laughs> but yeah, generally it's, it's cool when people, you know, keep everything relating to the music and people are positive, but I do get a lot of people who want me to know how they feel and they feel that I'm doing something wrong or I've had a lot of, a lot of sort of hostile um, interactions at the merch table. Like I feel like maybe more than the average artist. Um, Yeah. You think, (laughs) and I don't ask that question. I mean, like, (laughs) what do you do? Like, what do you do? Like, do you try to, I mean, you can't like explain to some people like, well, this is a very important uh, subject that needs to be said, regardless of how uncomfortable it makes you. Right. I mean, it's not your responsibility to educate an ignorant population. Right. But in a way it is what the music is maybe going to do. Maybe it changes one person's mind, you know? Yeah. Well, I can I can give you an example. I was in, um, I can't remember the name of the town, but it was somewhere in Northwest Arkansas. And I just did a performance and sort of like a uh, sort of panel conversation about, just about me and my artistry and things. And, you know, and sort of a white gentleman in his 50s came up and he, you know, disguised himself as a fan saying like oh i really like your guitar playing okay thanks and this slowly starts to reveal his true intent which was to say like you know i'm very i feel like you're being very divisive and you know you mm-hmm. talk a lot about black culture but why isn't anybody ever talking about white culture <laughs> and then he started to like tell me that he wished i was more like uh dr martin luther king and he wished i was more peaceful and all these things and i tried to like Oh, hear him man. out but he just getting he just kept getting more and more like racist with each oh, <laughs> with each sentence and i'm like at this point this is either going to turn violent or like i'm just gonna have to stop because he didn't come to have a conversation he came to like get all his fox news talking points out on right and in those and and in those situations it's like i regret wasting my time and energy even talking to them in the first place and yeah, I, and and then I, I go to the next interaction with even less patience, and now I'm at the point where I'm like, yeah, you was just stupid, and I don't care, and you can just leave me alone. Basically, <laughs> it's got to be tough, man. I mean, I think, you know, in some ways, you're sacrificing yourself and your well-being. You know, just thinking back to that interaction, it reminds me that I I do have an intention with these songs, and it's not necessarily to inspire people but it is to remind people like that guy in arkansas that i don't give a fuck about what you think and i think that to to me is that's that's good enough like as long as people like him know that there's people like me who don't who aren't afraid of them Last question I'm going to ask you, then I'll let you go. 
you have to put together a dream festival. The first people you hire on your bill, you get five artists, but they can be dead or alive. Mm-hmm. Who would they be? All right. We're going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Nirvana because, you know, I I sort of came into my own musical discovery age around the 10th anniversary of... Uh, Kurt Cobain passing it. So I was like growing up and listening to Nirvana as if they were still around, but I missed the whole thing. So let's go with Nirvana, uh, Jimi Hendrix, same thing. Um, and then we can have uh, Bjork, because I've always wanted to see Bjork. Chance yet. Um, and then we're going to have uh, Buffalo Nichols, because that sounds like a great, you know, great opportunity for me for my career. <laughs> You're obviously going to be there. It has to be five people besides you. Um, I'm going to go right after Bjork. She's going to open for me. Yeah, right. um, yeah I'm going to stack the lineup with people I've never gotten to see, but would love to. Um, then we got, um, let's go with, uh, like, Skid Row in their prime for some reason. It seemed like that would be a lot of chaotic energy. <laughs> and yeah. uh, is that four? And then we're going to round it out with uh, Billy Holiday. Right, there'd be enough there to disappoint everybody, but also everybody would get something they like. <laughs> I feel like Billy and, and Bjork would somehow get along. I don't know. Yeah, get them to collaborate. That'd be cool. All right, man. Well, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. And, um, you know, I think it's important stuff, you know, regardless of the idiocy that is all around us. I think people need to hear the real shit. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Keep up the good work. And do you. Thank you. All right, man. All right. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.